Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to my podcast, And She Was. I'm Julie Wilson-Nimmo, and I just love the chat more than life itself. I cannot get enough of it. This podcast series aims to give inspirational, eloquent and motivational women who live and work in Scotland a voice and a platform to share their enthralling human interest stories with us. I love gabby, feisty women, and I'm fascinated as to how they got to where they are today. My guest on today's podcast is Emily Smith, who worked as a midwife for 37 years delivering babies into this world and then heading up the early pregnancy unit in the west of Scotland. She led a team of dedicated midwives, putting women's interests first and in turn gained respect and recognition from her peers. Emily was a support for couples who found themselves in the unfortunate and deeply distressing situation of losing a baby. We chat all about Emily's career, but also about the still taboo subject of miscarriage. Many people are shocked when they hear that a quarter of all pregnancies end in miscarriage, and that's probably because it hasn't been talked about by those who go through it, perhaps finding it too painful, or maybe they feel guilt or blame or shame. Well, it's only through thought-provoking conversation that we can unpack it all and make sense of these raw emotions. Emily has helped me through some really challenging times and for that, I regard her as my guardian angel. You'll find out why as our conversation unfolds. So I just want to start off by saying thank you so much, Emily, for joining us this morning. Um, no I'm sitting here this morning on And She Was with a very good friend of mine that I've known for, wait for it, 20 years. No way. <laughs> I don't think it's weird that we're still friends. Emily's looking no. like it's weird to me. Not at all. <laughs> but do you remember when we first met? I think it was the morning after I had Benny. Yes. And then all the women, like, do you remember? Do you remember? Yeah. I remember you before that, you were getting a scan in the main ultrasound department and I had wandered through to ask a colleague something and I'd spotted your husband it was. That's, I looked at him and I thought, oh, he's in the TV and my son loves him, some sketch. And Aww. I came up and said it was something to do with a painter and it was a real neddy voice and I thought... <laughs> you are the bane of my life because my son speaks like that. And he, your husband was laughing because obviously doesn't talk like that. That was my first encounter. Emily. And you were heavily pregnant. Oh, wow. And thereafter. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. And I was massively pregnant. And um, for listeners that haven't been pregnant or pe- they know people that are pregnant, I mean, I was huge. Like, I'm just going to tell you, it looked like I was about to give birth to about five of them. <laughs> And because it, it was my first, I was keeping an eye on it, wasn't I? And yeah. that's my first encounter. Yeah. And I'd never even heard of the early pregnancy unit mm-hmm. at the time. And you sort of hear these words and you get a wee bit of a fright. But you were there, the girls were there giving me a scan. I think I only had a couple of weeks to go. And I think at that point, there was a small chance of the chat of, you know, they're there to reassure you they're an amazing um, facility. Um, and there's now one at the new hospital as well, yeah. obviously. Uh-huh. And basically going there, you go there, don't you? And you're there to scan them or reassure them or go, you know, got so many weeks to go. Well, that, that area would be the daycare area. Right. For heavily pregnant women. 
the early pregnancy area was for women who were in the very early stages, maybe threatening to miscarry or have an ectopic pregnancy, something like that. Okay. So I think we sort of crossed over between the two areas. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe that that was the link that Greg's yeah. <laughs> annoying you from the telly. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> oh, funny. So how did you, did you know from being a little girl that you wanted to be a midwife or do you mind just telling us how you got into being a midwife? I wanted to be a nurse. So back in the day, the old good old days has changed now. Um, you had to do nurse training, three year course. I started at 17 and qualified at 20, just over 20 as a nurse. Worked in male urology, men's bits. Did you? For a year as a staff nurse, such a young girl. You look at it and you think, oh my God, young girl dealing with, you know, men in catheters. But I did it for a year at the Western Infirmary. Right. The old, all my old hospitals are no longer around. And then I applied and became a student midwife because through the nursing placement, you go to different areas. And I looked at the midwifery section and thought that's where I, I belong and knew I wanted it. The other thing was through my nurse training, I became pregnant and had a set of twins. And I thought it was the end of the world because I was 19, thought, oh, my God. My boyfriend, who became my husband, and we were having these twins, and I lost them at 23 weeks. And that was at a stage where you couldn't revive babies at that stage, so they did pass on. And that spurred me on to help women in childbirth. Little did I know from that I would then go and specialise with women that lost babies. It's, It's mad world how your life works, but that's what I ended up doing after I became a midwife. Delivered babies, looked after babies and mums, then I specialised in early pregnancy for the latter part of my career. And Emily, I think you, you mentioned it to me before, but I didn't realise you were only 19. So 19 yep. and you were starting your training. And Did you see there you lost them at 23 weeks? 23 weeks, yeah. Oh, Emily. Yes. Do you mind me asking how you got yourself through that? It's like most women will probably say the same thing. It's a blur. You just sort of plod on and eventually you pick yourself back up and you think, I've got to join the world again. So I don't know how long that took. A few weeks, a few months, it was always with me until I had my baby, which was Laura, who I've got two children now, so she's coming up for 33 now. So I had her five years after. So I did go on and go, I'm going to finish this training, I'm going to do that training, get my career sorted. And then I went on and had Laura. And then life goes on, doesn't it? You never forget. You're 19 and this happens to you and it doesn't put you off your profession and it doesn't put you off, you know, going on to to becoming a mum twice Mm -hmm. over in the future. But the fact that that's tied in so early in your story, is Mm -hmm. that really is amazing. The fact that you go on to specialise in that area. I know. See, when you look back at this age, 56, which isn't old, but it feels it sometimes. Of course it's not. (laughs) But when you look back at this stage of my life now, going a bit slower... And I I just think, oh, my God, it's so funny when you hear older people saying, you know, your life will work out, it'll be what it'll be. And I try, I say all these lovely sayings to the younger ones now, you know, calm down, just relax, it'll work out. But when you're going through it, you don't think so. But now looking back, I go, wow, look how that all worked out. And I actually worked with women who lost babies. And I don't think you need to lose babies to provide that as a midwife, to provide that service. But I think it stood me in good stead to support all the women through the years because I worked in the early pregnancy unit for, I think it was 17 years to end my career. I do bank now, do the odd shift, but I specialised for 17 years and I had this holistic approach, which I, I felt was important, and that was to see the women from day dot, scan them. We learned, my colleague and I, Maureen, learned to scan done the course we could scan early pregnant women we could make that diagnosis hopefully it was all very good and they could go off on their journey but if it wasn't a good outcome we were there to support them and they didn't get exposed to too many people which in my own opinion was a fantastic way to treat women when you said you learned to scan was that not the done thing and no no why would why is that emily why because it was um scanning was in pregnant women any pregnant woman was either done by doctors or by ultrasonographers. So radiographers who normally take x-rays and stuff would learn to scan, so they would provide that. So the women would be exposed... I keep saying exposed as if it's a bad thing, but in a a situation like that, I felt women were getting exposed to too many different people. Mm -hmm. 
So if you just bring that to the one person to deliver the whole package and then you built a bond with them, especially when they were losing a baby, I think that was really important for them. Well, our bond is over friendship, but for me and my husband, Greg, you were there for us. We, we went on to have Benny um, and then we had no problems. And then after that, it was mm-hmm. three years later, our paths crossed again in the early pregnancy unit yeah. because I started, I had a, a bleed and I didn't know anything about it. And I can openly talk to you about it because you were such a brilliant support to me and Greg. And I didn't know I had cramps and I came up and luckily for me, you were there and yeah, obviously you could tell by my face I didn't have a clue what was going on. I'm, I'm from a big family of all my sisters having lots of babies and my mum been no miscarriage at all. Mm-hmm. And then you took me in and scanned me and you, you led me through it and unfortunately we had lost. And I just remember thinking, I don't know how I would have got through it if you hadn't been there because I didn't have any... It's so weird, even though you've had a baby, mm-hmm. if you don't encounter the word miscarriage or if you're not you know being with somebody that's had you just don't know anything about it and of course they don't want to talk to you about it through your pregnancy Mm -hmm. but at the same time you're completely thrown because you go from that moment of I did know there was something a little bit wrong and I could obviously tell you could tell by my face and you unfortunately my partner Greg my husband didn't know and I felt so bad for him I had a little inkling they say women sort of know don't they definitely and then you just guided us through that and got us through it and sort of gave us the hope to say like these things that happen but I really do mean this if it hadn't been for you there's leaflets and stuff but there wasn't a lot of aftercare chat yeah, and yeah. stuff and do you think that's changed since since then do you think that's getting a bit better I think the birth of the early pregnancy units across the whole of the UK because obviously in that job I was involved with the Scottish early pregnancy network I actually was the secretary which I'm the worst worst can't work a computer or nothing but anyway they made me the secretary it was horrendous but <laughs> I was involved with that group. So we'd put on conferences every once a year. And the reason for it was to educate other professionals, health professionals, not women in the general public. It was the health professionals. And we shared ideas. And the National Association of Early Pregnancy Units, they run a conference. Again, it's for health professionals. And so we're building a standard of care and we're actually unifying it across the whole of the UK overall women are now knowing they can access early pregnancy services. People are talking about it and I think it's a vital role and a vital service for women and their partners, especially if there's trouble in the pregnancy and they're worried. And do you see it on, and I know, I know you're retired, but you're not, she's not, she's still working. She's, <laughs> she misses the chat. She is, she's in there. I know what you'll be like, you miss being in the team. But do you think now... That because people are talking about mental health and mm-hmm. it is it does come under that umbrella mm-hmm. as a, in a positive way but it's still a taboo I've just been through it again recently with a very close friend and you again helped me because you helped her to get a scan and stuff like that but even with her in this day and age nobody mm-hmm. talks about it no. it's a very taboo subject and yet and I'm going to quote something because we've got statistics amongst us here people don't talk about it but the statistics are still really high the stats come in it estimates to suggest here that there's 250,000 miscarriages every year in the UK but people don't don't know about it People don't talk about it, and I'm not getting at them, but I think it's because they don't know what to say to you mm-hmm. when it's happened to you. Yep. They don't know what to say to you, and it's almost like, oh, it sounds terrible that I'm getting at people, I don't mean it, and you probably had it yourself. It's like they go, oh, don't worry, it wasn't the right timer, or a ghastly one I got was, well, there's probably something wrong with the baby, mm-hmm. so it was better that you didn't go through that, and mm-hmm. all the things that upset the people don't mean to upset you no, is what I'm trying to no. say don't they not they don't they don't know what to say I think the majority of women in general are waiting for a 12-week scan that's what antenatal care starts 12-week scan so prior to that which is most of the early pregnancy units are involved with women so prior to 12-week scan women don't talk about pregnancy they'll say I'll tell the family when I'm 12 weeks so I don't know if it's that element that they're just holding it yeah so they won't share it yeah, which is a bit of a shame because that's what you've just touched on. The mental health can be a big thing for women when they're pregnant again, that anxiety. And that was a good thing in my role because I got to know all my women who miscarried and I could just say, phone me, Nick. Hello, it's no policy, don't quote me. 
<laughs> I know, don't give it into trouble, but that is exactly what you but, like. Yeah, that is but exactly it's like what just phone like. and we'll scan. It's not going to change any outcome, but it's that mental part where you're bringing someone off the ceiling into a sort of moderate level of normal. Yes. Because the anxiety is horrendous if someone's miscarried for their future yes. pregnancies. I don't understand why we're not talking about it more. Uh, me, I talk about it all the time, but I don't understand, you know, a lot of couples just want to keep it within themselves. But I've heard women and men saying to me, oh, when we went home, so-and-so, a guy in the office, wife miscarried, this one miscarried, and then they start talking, which is good. Which is great, and it's like, I didn't know, and I had to reach out, and you said to me, and I, it never left me, I hate to say it's common, but you will know people, Jules, mm-hmm. that have been through this, I promise yeah. you, and so will Greg. Yeah. And and you were right, and it did naturally really help. A very close friend of mine had two back-to-back miscarriages. I had no clue, and so I had her, and it really helped me discuss it with my sisters and stuff. They were fantastic and said, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. It's talk, yeah. but there is something, I know exactly what you mean, there is something about that 12-week thing of, like, we can't tell anyone. And yeah. but actually, the aftermath of what happens to you, and I agree with you, you never forget you need that support. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the elephant in the room, isn't it? It's like, oh, she's going to come round and talk about her miscarriage. Like, yeah. Who genuinely does that? Exactly. <laughs> Nobody I know. does that. I know. But I... The, I do what, and here's a question I was thinking about this morning. Do you think that men talk about it? I did worry about my husband because I had my girlfriends that had mm-hmm. been through it, that went through it, and you supporting me. Yeah. But do you think guys get the support that they need? I don't think the guys get the support out with the hospital environment. I could be wrong and hopefully there'll be guys that will listen and go, you're talking rubbish there, Emily, because we got lots of support. In the environment of the hospital, they definitely get the support because they're involved. We encourage them to be there. They are trying to be brave. They're (laughs) trying to be the backbone of that relationship. And I think they sometimes get lost. I feel it and I look at the, the partners and I think, I wonder what happens when they go home. If it was me, it would all be all about me. I'd be wanting all the, you know, everybody come and talk to me and cuddle me and make me feel good. So I don't know. I would hope that they they do have people that they can talk to. We encourage them to come and talk to us and phone us, you know. And the one thing, and I used to always say it to like the wee student midwives that would come and work with us as well, the one thing that always gets me is when the dad cries. So when the mum's got all the tears, I'm like, all right, big cuddle. In the days we were allowed to cuddle. All of that. But when the guy, that was the one that just, I would go, and he'd get out of this room because I'm just about to lose it now. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. lose it with the women, but I'd lose it with the men started. I'd go, oh, God. And I don't know. There's no rational thought to that, why I was like that. But I always just felt... They always stood tall and protected their mm-hmm. wife, their partner. But when they lost it, I'd be going, oh, God. And I think maybe man. when you're saying that, and we're both getting emotional thinking about it, but I think yeah. when you're saying that, there is that thing. <laughs> and it, it is forward thinking as we are about women. There is that thing of your heart almost breaks for them because in my experience, and when we've talked about this and, and my close friend, not all the time, but the woman usually has a feeling. Yeah. And you said yeah. to me, and fortunately went on to have our boy Chevy a few years later and then after Chevy we fell pregnant again and again you helped us because we had another miscarriage and that one nearly killed me because of how upset my husband was so it's mm-hmm. weird you talking about that I actually felt a bit stronger that time but I knew I woke up that morning and I knew mm-hmm. and I felt physically not well but it was him and he didn't know and he was filming and I had to get him to come and yeah. oh, you were just so fantastic and I did say to you in private I'm okay and you looked at me like no you're not I know and I said it's him and and he was so shocked even though it had happened a time before Mm -hmm. yeah it's even thinking about it now it's the reality you're you're so happy for Mm -hmm. that time yeah I think that's why people don't like talking about you're so happy for that time and then you can count your head down to 30 when they scan you and you, you get down to five and you just look and you know. Yeah. And then they have to know and it's everybody mm-hmm. together. But Do you know the one thing that I always say to couples, women on their own with their partner, when I'm scanning them and the one thing that always makes me really sad because tra- women are trying to be brave when I say, I'm so sorry, but this is a miscarriage. It will turn out to be a miscarriage. We need to discuss things with you. But the one thing is they always go, oh, it's okay. It's only six weeks or seven weeks or whatever it is and I'm always like but it's nothing to do with that gestation do you know what it's in my head and in my heart when I'm 
breaking that news is I know they peed on a stick <laughs> and that wee stick said positive and that wee stick changed the life of that family because it's not the moment in time. If any woman is like me, you're forward planning, your head's away, you're like, we need to get a bigger car, we need to move, we need a detached house with a big garden and you start all that nonsense, get to a good postcode because we want to get a good school, you're doing all of that. Yes. And women, well, I've said it over and over, this isn't about a wee six-week tiny fetus, this is about your hopes and dreams, you peed in a stick six weeks ago and this is what's now what's happened. So we've I've just wiped out, not personally, but I feel as if I've wiped out everything that they were planning but um, and I think that's important for couples to to realise that that is it's you peed on a stick and your your brain went off and see the amount of men I get in my room and I go oh you're seven weeks there's a wee heartbeat and they go oh, we need to get a big four before because we don't have that wee tiny micro is not going to cut it for all these kids you know yeah. so when you you look at it like that it is a massive thing it's huge. If you look up the name midwife, it's with women. That's basically what midwife is with women, supporting women in labour. My job was not about labour, it was about early pregnancy. But I just found my niche and I stumbled on early pregnancy, not because I lost twins years before, nothing to do with that. It's to do a hated night shift and I used to go home puking in the car from labour suite and I couldn't sleep. And I'd be driving home after delivering babies, which I loved. And I was ill and I thought, I need to get out of this night shift. What can I do? And I was getting migraines and I get put in the early pregnancy unit. And then I thought, hmm, this is a cracking little area here. We could make this work for women and us as practitioners. And that was how that evolved. And see, when you said you were on the, the labour ward at night, because mm-hmm. obviously it's not... So was that almost, like, too chaotic for you? Were you not getting the time that you wanted with the women? So you're obviously delivering babies, which yeah. we have to discuss, yeah. because, to me, you're a superhero to everybody. Oh, Excuse me if anyone's ever been in a labour ward. You know, mm. you can deliver a baby right now. If somebody came in here pregnant and they couldn't get... I know you could do it. I've heard mm-hmm. you talking about it, and you do it. So even that, even that, looking at you going, Emily's a midwife. Like, you can deliver babies. That's... Massive. My colleagues would go, don't let her near any babies. <laughs> Women in labour, she's not done it for years, but it's something that never goes. You never forget how to deliver a baby, good God. You're there to support women. But the reason I left the delivery suite and doing that was the shift pattern for me didn't work for me. I was ill with it. Uh, and I was so fortunate that I got put into a place that I knew nothing about and learned very quickly and had a colleague and I and the two of us and then I joined the Scottish Early Pregnancy Network and then I was coming back with all this info and we just then started to just kick this unit into touch and it was rolled out at one point it actually got rolled out in the city saying that was a gold standard of care for women in early pregnancy was what we were delivering it was brilliant so it's almost like you had to go through all of those other things all those other elements being on those labour wards and seeing all that and I hate for to puke in the car but no, no. you've had all of that and went right wait a minute then you went into this early pregnancy unit and made it you built up to be that yeah. but do you mind me going back a wee bit to being a midwife and I know mm-hmm. that <laughs> you've laughed because I've said this to Emily before like if I wasn't an actor I would love to be in a midwife and you look at me like I very good but <laughs> could you mind discussing that because it's so honestly like everybody I know goes tell me about that because mm-hmm. midwives don't talk enough on the radio or on podcasts what is it like to do that like that do you know, what is that like do you know it is actually amazing and I'm not just saying it because I'm sitting here it's one of the best jobs see when you get into the delivery room and you shut that door and you block out anything that's going on and you're just with that woman, that guy, whoever's with her. Uh, I always go back to one lady that I met in labour suite and delivery and she came in and she was in early labour and I was on for assessment and I assessed her and I was like, oh, no, you can go home, you're fine. I came on the next night. So this was like a late shift and then I was going on to nights and uh, I saw her name and I thought, I quite liked her. She she had something about her and dead chatty and I thought I'd go on, can I have her? And her mum, God rest her soul, her mum was there, her dad, I was late, I let the whole family in and her, her sister, the three of them were in, you're not allowed on that in labour speak, but I was like, oh, come And we had such a great labour and then she delivered her first baby, I delivered with her, her first baby. It was 
amazing one of the best things and I'm still friends with her you know because she hounded she actually hounded me she she called me out and she's like I promised you I heard you you never came you come to my salon and we we've always kept in touch she's such but I don't make friends with every single patient but you know there's just these ones that you just feel for and she was such a lovely girl and I delivered her first baby second one I was in holiday and I think the third one because I'm always in holiday so sadly I never got to deliver the other ones um but to go back to your question, what's it like? It is, a, and I'm not being cheesy when I say, I know it sounds so cheesy, but it is a total privilege to actually sit there with women and they're about to give birth. And they'll be in pain and they'll kick off, you know. They might come in with a nice organised birth plan. I'll go, oh, throw that out, that'll not be happening because we'll see, we'll just play it by ear, see what's going on. You try as much as you can to support what they want and all that, but you're like, oh, Come on, see how you do. Because you don't know what you're going to be like. But see, to be there. And when it comes to that moment and you're actually delivering that baby. And in the good old days, I would have my hand on that head and guide it and all that and protect them and everything. But all that practice changed quite suddenly. (laughs) And to see that wee baby. And then when you just walk away from them and they're cuddling their wee baby and everything's okay and they're safe, they're well, you actually look at it and you go... I actually never really done it. I just sat there. Like, yeah, I don't think so, Emily. No. When you talk about it, it's. And I know my is, face lights up because I our just go. face lights <laughs> up. And the energy that you've got, and I'm really not just saying that, but you're the perfect candidate for this podcast. The energy that you've got, anybody in labour, if you come into the room, and I can't remember the name of the first one I had and I didn't like her, and it, we just didn't click. And then somebody like you comes into the room and everything, your shoulders go down, everything, you just give off this positive eye. So no Mm. wonder, I know that you're not genuinely friends with everybody that you've helped to deliver, but there's something about you that just makes Mm. you reassured. There's something, she's hating this. There's something about about you that settles you down and goes, this woman makes me feel safe. This is why you are so good at your job. Mm -hmm. This is why you are, you've done it for how many years now then? Well, um, I actually retired 37 years into the whole profession. Yeah, 37 years as a midwife I was. So, Emily, I'm thinking you're on that labour ward, you're about to help a woman give birth and say something goes wrong and it's Mm -hmm. such a dramatic moment and everything's flying all over the place. How do you keep calm in that situation if you have to make decisions really quickly? One of my strong points was in an emergency situation, I thrived. I loved, not that I love women struggling and their babies are, you know, falling off a perch or something, but I love the drama of getting a woman out of the labour suite room, running her down the corridor, getting her into theatre, getting the scrubs all sorted, getting yourself sorted, instruments out and helping to get this baby out. It was like the adrenaline just went. It was like adrenaline junkie. A lot of people are terrified. You see it. A lot of midwives are, it's not their bag. They can't do it. And that's fine. If there's an emergency situation, you're always trained anyway, but it's never like the real world, is it? But you're trained in, like, if something's going wrong, you would do this, you would do that. When you're sitting in a class reading about that and listening to it, you think, oh, aye, aye, right, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And when it happens, a lot of people, it goes out the window and think, what the hell are we meant to do? But because... As I progressed and got on in my career, in the younger days, I would have just, my bottle would have crashed and I'd be like, oh, hell God, what are we doing? I'd have been all jerky. But then as I became more experienced in certain situations, I just thrived on it. I loved it. And I would then, you know, not bark orders, but I'd go, can you scribe? Can you do this? Can you do that? Why don't you go and get the drip for me? And I'd have the vent flowing in and get that sorted. I loved the drama attached to it. And then at the end of it all, I go, it's not a episode of Casualty in here, isn't it? <laughs> but I loved it. You know, I just love personally. But I appreciate people. There's, we're all different. But all midwives are trained for emergency situations. So give or take, we all know what we're doing. We really do. But that's so interesting to hear in that moment that you love the drama because I can't mm-hmm. think of anything more dramatic than giving birth in itself really traumatic and mm-hmm. nerve-wracking and all of these things and the adrenaline's all flat. But you're there in control and it's almost mm-hmm. like you're flying the plane, aren't you? You're there. But you know the, the reality as well is you're never alone. That's the thing because in the practice of maternity care, you've got a whole team. They might not be 
visible to the general public, but you've got consultants, you've got anaesthetists, you've got scrub nurse or midwives, you've got auxiliaries who are fantastic, underpaid in my opinion, because when, when I learned to scrub for sections, it was auxiliary, you go, put that there, put this there, and I'm going, what are all these instruments? Again, wow. it's like an episode of Casualty or Holby's that with all this stuff going on. But, you know, these are people that are, they're all there. We're all supporting each other. So you're never alone. You might get somebody that'll bark at you and go, what are you doing? You should have done this. And you go, no. And that's when that creates that nervousness. So, you know, if everybody's all in control, then it always usually works well. There and you go. you're all working to the same goal, get that baby out and get it well. How do you go home, Emily, after a day like that and the unit, say it's been a really bad day, how do you go home and decompress from that? How do you go home and just if you could say mm-hmm. that in our minds, you know, you go home and how do you switch off? In my younger years, when the kids were little, obviously you're just involved with them, so you have to switch off. But if there was any bad, ex- I always say experiences, but if there was anything bad that happened in Labour Suite, like sadly a terrible baby would die and you're delivering a dead baby, that goes home with you. Obviously, we practice confidentiality. Names are never... My son, actually, I'm going off on a tangent. I'm like Ronnie Corbett. Off I go. But my son, he's a wee cracker. He'll say to me, oh, I met so-and-so and and she said you scanned her like three months ago and you've scanned her and she had a miscarriage. And I've said to her, well, I never knew because my mum is confidential and I would not share things with the family. But I will, I would. When they were younger, I would go home and say to my husband at the time, Remy, I would say to him, oh, we had a dead baby. And and I would be up to high dough. Probably in the last 10 years, with things that, if things were sad in the early pregnancy, you'd probably crack a bottle of wine and down it. I'm only joking, only joking. No, but no. The job doesn't leave you when you, you go home. The job never leaves you because it's constantly in your mind. Every time I met women, because I've met them over the years because I've done it for 17 years early pregnancy, and the one parting message was, you will be back, you will have a baby in a car seat and you'll be swinging it in here to show me. I know I can 99% guarantee that's going to happen. And the majority of them came back. So for that, for all the sadness you get in an early pregnancy unit, you also know in your heart that situation is very sad at that moment in time. But if you fast forward a year, two years, maybe it'll be four. I've had a woman just recently before, just when I retired, because the girls came down with a present of the house and a card from this lady. And I'd scanned her loads over the years and she got her baby uh, after a lot of miscarriages. And she did say in her card, it was your words, you will. And the other thing as well is you've got to always remember... It's how strong someone can be. Can someone take the knock, the knock, the knock, the knock? Because they'll have a lot of knocks, but that's a very rare event. It's the percentages of someone having re- recurrent miscarriages are so small. I mean, you're talking about one in four, one in five pregnancies miscarry. That is the figures that are out there at the minute. But the majority of people won't have two, three, four, five, six. But for that particular lady, she did a lot before she got that baby. And I used to say to her, just please hang in there and come back and see me. Keep coming back. We'll get a baby, and she got it. And sadly, I never got to see because I'd retired. Region, region. Oh. So I was. But the thing comes with you, and the way to deal with it, especially in the latter part of my career, because I was married to my husband John, and he was great at you know listening to how I felt, and then he was brilliant, really into mindfulness. So he would be full of all these strategies to bring it down. But overall, you've always got to walk away and think, do you know what? That was a crap day today for these women, but tomorrow will be better and hope that you're going to be given a lot more good news than bad. But imagine you didn't have that hope and you've not had that support. And do you see that in your younger midwives? Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. If you can mm-hmm. see them struggling with it, because it must be, if they've not had the experience of it, they're coming in and they're training. Yeah. How do you deal with that then if they're taking the mask get upset? And- yeah. Aye. Do you have to then make time in your day to, to talk to them Aye. like this? And Yeah, you've got, like, if I get, I'll say young girls, I can be like 20 or 30 now doing midwifery training, but if I get students, you know, they're going to see bad news coming out from that scan. Women crying, men crying, and if they're not used to it, like you say, it is hard for them, but I won't just throw them out of the room. Years ago, student midwives weren't allowed in early pregnancy units. It was just the way it was. Um, the managers didn't think that was the right environment. And I, I, Maureen and I had to sort of argue the point and say, well, their midwives are with women. It's not going to always be good and they should learn early, you know. And I think you build up a compassion for women. And I think that's one of the high qualities you've got to be is compassionate. You can't be a hard-nosed person. I was going to say there. <laughs> you can't be hard-nosed no. and hard-hearted. You've got to feel what they feel without weeping and wailing all over them. But for students, I would say to them, right, we've had a, we've had four losses in a row here. Why don't you go and get a wee cuppa? And then at the end of the day, I'll be like, how are you feeling? But usually they're learning from the way you react. So if you take time with a couple and you talk it through and you're going through options and giving them all the information, the students, are they're already... You know, they've been counselled anyway. They've been counselled along with a couple. So you tend to find that the students are actually really good. I have to admit, they seem to take to it quite well. And And they know just to keep quiet, that's a nice thing, because most of them will just sit back and let you speak to the couple. Mm -hmm. I always imagine a female-led profession. Is Is there any guys coming through? or There's one guy, when I was in my training or post-qualifying in the early days there was one guy in the Glasgow area that trained I don't know whatever happened to him um, I believe I could be wrong but I believe there is one male midwife I don't know if he's privately practicing or what it isn't an environment where we see a lot of guys as midwife you'll get male doctors obviously because doctors are involved throughout the whole maternity care so women are exposed to you know, junior medical staff that are maybe male or student doctors that are male. Um, so they are exposed to men. I think women in general feel women should be midwives that are looking after them should be women. But that is just an old-fashioned thing, like call your midwife. It was always a, you know, a it was woman. always a woman mm-hmm. with a doctor, a male doctor overseeing it, and it's still that sort of situation, but it may change, you know. But even as you're saying that, it's funny because you don't see the consultant until you're being delivered, but it's you that I remember. <laughs> it's the aftercare, but it is. It's Aye. you that I remember and the other lovely midwives taking care of me. It's the women. Mm-hmm. And maybe I just personally felt more comfortable with the women and, yeah. you know, there's a lot of examinations going on and just the way you feel you're very vulnerable and you have to give yourself over about to it. It's the vulnerability, isn't it, of oh. women being exposed to too many people and... And 
that gender because women have got their boobs out feeding babies they've got their perineum getting looked at you know it's not glamorous is it, it isn't so you can understand why women that are heavily pregnant are like no I don't want that guy near me because you know they are very vulnerable yeah. but at the end of the day it is a profession and there's no reason why guys you know there's no reason why guys shouldn't be getting into this profession no but I don't know how we change it I know it's funny actually even thinking about it, but I'm thinking just now, like, beat it to the guys, because I always remember when I didn't, when I go for my exams, I think, oh, it's the doctor today. Oh, no. no. Sorry, doctors out there, male doctors, but you're like getting booted out. But it's, <laughs> when you would walk in, I would relax, because yeah. I would go, I know that Emily's going to talk me through this if it's something I don't understand, if there's yeah. a few complications and things. But do you mind me asking this, and just because of everything that's been going on now, what about your unit? thriving then what about lack of funding and stuff we hear that a lot mm-hmm. especially you know nowadays how has that affected the midwife sector then how's that affected your unit the, um, the unit? early pregnancy unit certainly has the model of care has changed and i don't want to get any old political I don't do politics and all that but the actual model of care has completely done 360 when i started it was um doctor-led and it, we had a lovely female, Lena McCara, actually, a beautiful female doctor who overseen our unit and she was very in support of Maureen and I scanning because she knew where we were going with this um, and we developed this midwife-led unit. But nowadays, yeah, it's to do with funding and because we developed that one-stop shop where women came and seen one midwife who done everything, that costs money. They paid us well to do that, but then it became more and more women were coming through our unit and they couldn't sustain that. So then they chained more people. So then they were paying them all this money and they couldn't afford that. So they, now they've got one personal scan and they've got a couple of junior midwives, band six midwives that will take the women and deal with the bad news. So that's a complete, and that was one of the reasons I retired. Because you were happy with it. I couldn't deliver that care package where I just scanned women and put them out. I couldn't do it because I'm, as you can see, a gab. And I had, I had that control and I loved the control. It's not so much controlling women, but I could control the element of the care that they were given and who they get exposed to, and that's all changed. Is it funding? I don't know. I don't know what it costs. I mean, it sounds like it is, and I, and I understand you're saying you don't want to get into the politics of it, but at the same time, that's really difficult for you. You've poured your life into that, mm-hmm. and then it's like, like, hurry up almost. Yeah. How can you create that and set that up and make that environment so comfortable? And I know, because I've been in it a number of times, and then to go, I need to walk away and I'm getting... Mm-hmm. So does that feel really unsatisfying towards the yeah, end? Yeah, it was so frustrating. And I became a person that I didn't like. Not to the women, because I loved what I was doing, but I became... A, I'm quite gobby anyway. But I became more vocal and I didn't like the way I was. And I thought, it's time for me to get out of this. And that was the reason I just thought I have to walk away, because that was excuse the pun but it was my baby and I was so so passionate when I talk about early pregnancy I just get dead passionate and excited about the care that you can give to women and their partners Um, the model was a brilliant model and um, it's still don't get me wrong women can access that service they pick up a phone phone in they might not get seen on that day or the next day depending but they will get seen they will get really good care but it just wasn't what I was happy to deliver anymore Did COVID change the way that the hospital had to work? Because I was hearing yeah. horror stories about people going in on their own and all that. Yeah. Has that changed and will that go back? It'll go back. I, th- I would imagine it will go back. I think for at the early days of COVID when we were suggesting women come in on their own and we were all masked up and gloved up and gowned up and everything and it was a feeling, it was a fear of get them in, get their scan and get them out. Don't expose yourself as a practitioner you weren't wanting to be exposed to anyone because we were all frightened of what this was we didn't know what the virus was so and in an early pregnancy unit the majority of people come with a partner but we were still getting to a stage where we didn't want the partners in the room because we were terrified that we were getting exposed to too many people in a day yeah um with that horrible virus that was killing a lot of people and yeah i know like my daughter had a baby recently and andrew get into the delivery suite, which was fantastic. But he said, <laughs> I had to laugh at him, he said they were getting pushed along the corridor, her in a wheelchair with Darcy in her arms and Andrew's walking along and the girl presses the lift button and Andrew went to step in and she went, where are you going? Exits that way. Uh, you'll get a phone call um, oh, no. with a time. 
oh, a visiting no. slot and he's like what and she went oh you can't come in no one's allowed in you've got to book your slot so luckily she was only in like I think it was overnight and she got home the next day or the following day so he had to book his wee one hour slot and then he booked a wee two hour slot and she came home but I and that was I'm like what and he went yeah you're not allowed but picking up on that what happens if you are on your own what happens in that situation or do, have you seen that through the years even before Covid okay yeah, yeah. you get women that will come up on their own and you're breaking bad news to them but it is a case of you don't just break that bad news on a scan and turf them out the door in the role that I did do before mm. they were changing it and I left I would have time because I allocated time slots for my ladies so I would have a caseload really so I would go and yeah I would may run over 30 minutes the next lady will get that if she needs it and that was my take and I know people get frustrated with sitting about waiting but I'd go but they'll get their time and I would apologise and say this is taking longer please bear with me. Especially if someone was on their own, then they need you there. They might not. I've had women that go, right, thanks, fine, I'm off. And I'm like, well, wait a wee minute here. I need, I need, I need to do this. I need time to talk Check to you. Check you're OK. And she's like, no, I'll phone you later today and off they'd go. But most women need time. So you take them into a quiet room or you keep them in your room if you're lucky to have a room like me where you could scan and keep them and you just sit and talk to them, get them a wee cuppa and see where they're at. And then... They'll keep in touch with you anyway. But the one thing I always done myself and always teach people is if you give couples or a lady on her own bad news, walk her out the unit. Don't just let her get out your room and walk up the corridor. Walk her out the door for crying out loud. What does it take to walk somebody and guide them out? Because they're passing heavily pregnant women. They're passing other people that can see they've been crying and it's embarrassing for them and they probably just don't know what they're doing. So just take the time, take seconds to walk somebody out the door. So if there's somebody listening to this and they're a midwife and they come across someone that's got sad news, walk them out the door. It's a silly little thing, but to me it was one of the most important things and i always done it, always. I love that you're saying that because if somebody is training and listening to that, they go, oh, nobody's ever said that to before. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, because when you are walking out there with sad news, and you do have to walk through the labour ward and it did happen to us, I don't think I ever told you this before, someone came up and went, oh, you're pregnant again. And Aye. it was like getting a boot to the... Yeah. It was like getting a boot to the head Aye. and she didn't mean it because she'd only ever seen us up there Aye. having babies and, oh, it was a wound and you just like, oh, you know... You, You've you got a shield, there. a human shield that's protecting shield. you to get you out of that building. Because yeah. people associate maternity hospitals with good news. That's what they, they associate it with. And even other midwives don't ever really put that thought that, oh, they could be getting bad news there. Yeah. So see, see in that same vein, so if you're training up a new midwife, what are you looking for? One of our senior charge midwives, she just recently retired, but before I retired and she retired, she'd be interviewing, like, auxiliaries, bantus, and she'd go, we're getting a new auxiliary in the unit. i go, all right, OK. And um, we used to joke about this, and this is just me being daft, because I have got qualities that I really do want, but she'd go, right, Emily, what is it you're looking for for your unit? And i go, good looking, slim, <laughs> and smiley, laughs a lot, that's what I'm looking for. But the qualities that I would look for in a girl or guy, if they're training, is I want them to have a bit of something about them. I don't want somebody that's a wee timid, wee quiet, wee mouse. I personally don't think women are looking for that. They're not looking for someone like me that's dead loud, but I think you need to have a bit about you. You need to have a wee bit of banter. You need to know when to put the banter there and when to bring it back in. Although I worked in an early pregnancy unit, people would say, God, there's a lot of hilarity in here, but it was appropriate. It only happened when it was appropriate. It would, I wouldn't be in there giving it, ah -ha, laughing away, and someone's in a room crying. Of course. So, you need to know when to be happy and funny and you need to know when to tone it down and be quiet. You need to be compassionate. You need to care. You actually, I feel you need to actually care about the job that you're doing and you need, for an early pregnancy unit, you need passion and you need to have a, a voice, not being digging at any managers in NHS. But what I would say is they're getting it from somewhere, a cut this, cut that, change this, change that, and they think they're streamlining a service and making it more efficient. They probably are making it more efficient economically, but is it in the women's best interest? Absolutely not, not all the time. So you need somebody like me, and that's what the other girls who are at the same level as me would maybe not be as vocal, but I would be like, well, no, that'll not be happening. 
because that's not in the best interest for these women that come through this unit. You need to actually work in the unit. And I always felt managers should come in, just come and shadow and see what women go through and what we are delivering. But So I would say, yeah, a wee bit of a voice to support women. Be the voice, be the advocate. You hear all this, don't you? These are the buzzwords, the advocate for women. Be an advocate for women, but actually mean it. Don't just go, I'm an advocate. Bloody well, get out there and say what you think and be strong, you know. I used to go beetroot and my neck would go all red when I was arguing with a manager. I hate it, I hate confrontation, but i done it because I thought, no, you can't just come in here and change that without discussing and finding out how it all works. So really, you need somebody that's strong, somebody that's dead sensitive, caring, a wee bit of fun about them as well, but passionate. The passion was the thing for me. Everybody always said, you're dead passionate about early pregnancy. My late husband said that you have just got such a strong passion about that subject. You love it. I was like, I did. I lived and breathed it. It did affect me, don't get me wrong. I had times where my health struggled because of it, but I loved it and I would never change it. Never change what I'd done. I loved that job. Not a lot of money gets put into the early pregnancy. Lots of money's in antenatal care and teen pregnancy and breastfeeding, obviously breastfeeding, all of that. This is a little forgotten area and it's one of the, in my opinion, one of the most important areas as well. Yeah, a lot of these women are not getting a baby, they're not going to go through the service, but they'll come back. And it's how they are treated at that moment in time is going to have a massive impact on how they go on in the future and if they'll have more babies and how their, their pregnancy will pan out and postnatally when they do have a baby, how will they feel because that all comes flooding back. When they lose a baby, all that comes flooding back when they have their next baby. It's not a case of, I've got my baby, I can just forget about that. Not every woman's like that. No. So that's the reason I'm the way I, oh, I was, the way I was. I was dead vocal. Now, like we've said, I do part-time. I work uh, once a month, if I do. And I, I'm not involved in any of that. I try very hard just to go in and go, you know, I'm here to support these women and give them a wee bit of the chat and see what's, what's what and everything. But then I, I can see myself getting embroiled and stuff and go, oh, no, no, you can't do it. And then I go, shut up, Emily, it's nothing to do with you. Don't <laughs> shut up, Emily, no, no. I know, I know, but this big mouth always gets me into trouble. So I go, shut up. Anything I ever did or argued with people was never about me arguing. It was about women. Meghan Markle recently, um, mm. Lawson was obviously publicly talking about it and Honestly, I could hear people talking about it, like, what's she doing that for? Like, people that I really yeah. like and care about, they didn't like this being mentioned. Mm. And obviously, you don't want to... A, a lot of people don't know that it's happened to me. Mm -hmm. they go, you're not going to turn around to folk that you don't know. Well, that will be good for her. Yeah. I see exactly that example. Aye. And that lovely American... She's married to John Legend. Chrissy Teigen. That kind of exposure, to me, definitely helps. Do you mm -hmm. feel the same about oh, that? Definitely. Like, mm -hmm. Why? And But those women get... They get judged about it. Yeah, they get judged as if... Oh, look at them try to... Uh, get sympathy or steal the limelight because they've had this miscarriage. But I don't personally think they're talking about it for that reason. I think they're talking about it because it might help somebody. Absolutely. I think that, that is the reason that they're doing it. It's it's something that's a wee taboo that's kept quiet and we don't really want to hear about it. We just want to hear about happy big babies getting born and everybody's happy. And I think these women are now starting to come out and go, well, no, I've got two babies, but this happened to me and I'm okay. I survived and we've moved on and we've got our babies or whatever, our family's doing well. But I think it is really good that people do come out and talk about it, but you're right. You see in the papers and that, they just get slated and you're like, why? If they knew for one second how they, Meghan Markle and Chrissy Teigen felt at that, if they knew the pain that they were all going through, why would they criticise them? And you're Aye. thinking, they're not making this up for attention, no, no. but there still is something there and going... She said that obviously some really positive things came mm -hmm. from that. People go, oh, she's so brave to talk about that. But at the same time, you're so right. It's still not allowed, if you like, mm -hmm. to be talked about. Yeah. It's like we don't, our ears don't want to hear it. All we Aye. want is good news. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, stiff upper lip, get on with it. And people go, oh, I'm sure she'll be fine, though. And you're like, how do you know Aye. that she will be fine? Uh -huh. Well, I really hope I that she is. But how do you know? There's certain aspects of mental health that we're allowed to talk about, and that's fine. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that these other issues that come under that umbrella aren't important. But this is like, mm -hmm. for women, to me, women have the toughest deal. It's like you're 
only come mm-hmm. around when that baby's in that pram and everyone's happy Aye. and here's the baby sharing the presents and mm-hmm. you don't know what journey that they've I know, been on to, to... To actually get to the where they've got to. I looked at my daughter um, and obviously she's pregnant through COVID, which was a bit of a pain because all the healthcare's changed. But I looked at her and, you know, I felt quite sad about that whole pregnancy because she just worried the whole time oh. about the COVID, obviously, and how it would affect her if she got it and how this baby, would this baby be okay? And she just seemed totally stressed. And I thought, for God's sake, you know, what have we, what's happening to us? It, the whole environment that we're in at this moment in time as well has changed. And like you were saying about, you know, guys aren't allowed into clinics and stuff. Everything's just all changed. And I just wonder how women are going to cope. Yeah. Is there reasons now? Is there facts coming back about the causes? Or is it just the roll of a dice here? It's not worked out for you. Is there anything coming back? Do you mind me asking your experience? Is there anything Uh coming forward? Is there not prevention? Still, Still, obviously very little in terms of early miscarriage. The majority of people, if they miscarry, this sounds a bit graphic, but if they miscarry at home in the past tissue, we will say, if you want to scoop it out the loo or whatever, put it in a wee tub, bring it in, we'll send it to pathology. Very limited information you're getting back from that. It might say, yeah, it's a normal fetus, but they're not really going to be able to tell you that much. Women that have recurrent miscarriage, then they start doing tests on them. Um, and they'll do genetics and the fetus and stuff, so they may get a bit of information. But the, the reality is a lot of it's just put down to its life. It happens. We don't really know. Um, there's a small amount of women that will maybe have something within their health that will, you know, or their genetic makeup that, you know, they're predisposed to having miscarriage in quite a few. But on the whole, we still don't really know. It is, like you say, it's the roll of the dice. It's nature. And I think the one thing for women, if they're listening, is to take away, and we can be very, very sure of that, there's very hellish little that you're doing that's caused it. It's out of your control. I'm really, really glad you said that because even years later and watching my friend in pain that had been through it recently, I couldn't bear that she was blaming herself. And from nowhere, you know, she said things like, I'm working too hard or, you know, and I remember one time I pushed a box. It wasn't even heavy. And I was like, was it because I pushed a box? And she's running through all these scenarios. Or I maybe had a half a glass of wine and I didn't even know I was pregnant. And Mm -hmm. it's so horrible that you do that to yourself. And I don't know why. And I've heard recently, like some, you know, talking about these women that have been in the press talking about stuff and go, wonder what she did. And you go, what do you mean you wonder what she did? No. She did nothing. She she tried to be pregnant. I've delivered babies over the years. I delivered babies to drug addicts, alcoholics, smokers. And they had their baby. Right. Yeah, the baby might have had a bit of an issue, but they had their baby. Women, the one thing that we do, obviously, all health professionals are trying to promote is good health. So if someone's thinking about falling pregnant, try and just consider your health before you even go there. If you're smoking, try and get that reduced or get quite if you can. It's easy for me, I'm a non-smoker. Get the alcohol out. Try and up the exercise a bit. I'm not saying run marathons, but just become more healthy. Lose a bit of weight. Obviously, if you're grossly obese, that's a massive thing for falling pregnant in the first place. And it's huge implications for a pregnancy going forward. So it's just about health. You know, women taking control. and try- I'm not saying they've all got to join Slamming World and Run no. Mar. I'm not saying that. I'm saying everything in moderation and look at your health. If you're thinking about having a baby, do what you can to promote a good start off you know it's like giving yourself the best start isn't it it's, and i know it's not running the marathon but it's giving yourself the best start and go look you're about to embark on this massive major thing mm-hmm. give yourself the best start isn't it it's like definitely you know, yeah and i don't even think women talk about that emily i no. don't even think that they do well we used to get women and i sound like a big fatties listen to me but i always struggle my way anyway but i do sound like a big fatties but i would get women in and they'd be very very heavy but People don't want, you know, they're like, well, you can't say to her, but she really does need to start thinking about her weight here because this is the start of a pregnancy. At the end of that, it's going to be even worse. What the health implications for that is, you know, gestational diabetes. This baby's going to be born, it's going to be huge and, you know, jerky and whatnot. Sugars are going to be all over the place. But people don't like to talk about that. But I used to work with a consultant at the Queen Mother's and he was brutal 
not in a bad way. You just go, you need to lose weight, end of, you're, you're too heavy. It would even go, the fat word, you go, you're too fat. And I'd be going, oh, Kevin, you can't say that. And he'd go, well, she is, she's too fat, she needs to lose weight. And I'd be going, oh. but he's saying it in the best interest uh-huh. of, and uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it's that. <laughs> like, oh God. But the, I'm just thinking all this stuff you must have heard over the years. If you could go back to your younger self, mm-hmm. is there anything that you would do different or is there anything, any wee bit of advice you would give to yourself? For me personally, uh, doing the role that I did because I was so passionate about it, I probably would say I wish I had kept the passion but done the vocal part more subtle around managers and stuff. <laughs> so spoke out for my women in the service but had done it in a cute way instead of just being brutal. Like me, I'm a brutally honest person. I say it as it is, I can't help it. But I would change that and say, right, do it in a cute way and get your point across nicely, cutely, so they listen to you. That's it. That's what I would say. Service-wise, absolutely not. I loved what I'd done. I loved that early pregnancy service. I loved delivering babies. I loved postnatal. And back in the day when you were allowed to sit at the end of a bed, sit on a bed, hold a baby and chat to the mother and dad. I've got a photo years ago and it's this dad cuddling me with his baby. God, you're not allowed to do that now. You're not allowed to sit in a bed now. God, you're not? No, Jesus. Infection control would have a field day. Oh, shut up. What a lot of rubbish. <laughs> Come on. And she can say that because she's been there, but that is, you know, I hope you've not regretted anything that you've said to these managers because I know you and I know that it'll all oh. be backed up with the goods that you're fighting for oh, these I, women. But yeah. You know, uh, I think you should put all this into a book. I would read your book mm-hmm. and all the other things that we've not had time to talk to about today. Emily's a mum of two and you've yep. you've been through so much, Emily, and you still manage to maintain this positive vibe about you. You do, it's infectious. And we've recently both started Wild Swimming. <laughs> she's laughing, but I met her and was telling her I, I was know. doing it. And by the way, I only said it to her once and she's doing it all the time. I know. She's bought a paddle board. Yep. Oh, I love She's it. I can off. stand up. I can paddleboard. 56. Now you just go, who paddleboards? What are all rubbish? Why would you do it? Love it. Uh-huh. She's up hills and you're... Love it. Jet set <laughs> to the sun and you've earned it and you have earned it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's always been something about you. You've got this energy about you and you pass it on to everybody. And mm. You're completely and utterly inspiring and your passion comes across. You know, what's more important than... A baby coming into the world. Do you know, that's the thing. And my daughter was saying it, she goes, you can't believe that you create that when you're lucky enough to get forward to the end and it comes out alive and well. You've created that, that was in there, that little thing, a couple of wee cells and it's a wee human being. How beautiful is that? And we, as midwives, regardless of what area you work in, you're involved in that development of that baby right up till it's born and they leave that hospital or you leave their house, whatever, but you are involved. How, and I'm not being cheesy when I say that, we are really privileged to be involved in that. It's amazing. It's actually an amazing thing. And people always go, oh, midwives are great, they're brilliant. No, yeah, yeah, we are okay. But we are still part of that. You know, we've been invited into their family and it is, it's amazing. I always used to think that. I used to look at it and go, my God, once the baby was out and everything, I'd go pat in the back of myself, oh, I've done a great job. And then I'd go, aye, right. I really had nothing to do with that. Look what they've created. It's beautiful. Then you get them, they're all crying. I'm like, oh, take them away. <laughs> it's it. <laughs> It's the, it's the cycle of life that you're involved in. She's so funny, isn't she? I know that you'll all be enjoying listening to her because she goes, I'm not involved in that. You are so involved in that. And you're so involved. In, that's how we get on because we always like to like take the mickey all the time and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, when I was going through probably one of the most awful things that ever happened to me, you were there and I'm so Aww. appreciative of it. And so is Greg. Aye. And I do get emotional when I think about you, but you're just Aww. fantastic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> She's amazing. She's amazing. My job's done. You're crying. That's it. I always say that to women. My job's done. I got your tears. Even that through it. That's get it. Aye, right. You can go. I got you to cry. Out you go. <laughs> but the laughing that we've done over the years and everything and the bond that we've had is, is from you. It's totally from you. And I just think... Emily, I think you should go and do talks and stuff like that. I really, really do. And then maybe we can break these barriers down a bit more. And have somebody like you coming in and talking and going, listen, this is what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know you won't go away off in the chair and go away in your paddleboard and be quiet. (laughs) 
Nobody's yeah. worse than you, and <laughs> rightly so. And you can go and be cute all you want, but <laughs> <laughs> she's just an absolute firecracker and a survivor and a, a warrior. You're a warrior. That's what I'm going to call Aww. you. I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank Honestly, you. You're an absolute mm-hmm. superstar. Thank you so much, Emily. No, thanks for having me on. For your lunch now. <laughs> There's most definitely a book in the making full of Emily's wonderful stories. I hope you enjoyed our refreshingly honest chat. I certainly feel a lot lighter after it anyway. My grateful thanks to Emily for joining me on this podcast and thanks to you all for listening. You can find future episodes on ACAST, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. With thanks to Matt Ramsey for editing and mixing this episode. This podcast was produced by Solace Sounds. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.